Blessed is the one who loves your word. Your ways are his delight. He knows that he needs it. He sleeps and breathes it, thinking on it day and night. Welcome to the Christ in Canon podcast, where we seek to think about biblical passages and themes with all of Scripture in mind. We hope this podcast will stir your delight in Christ and your confidence in the Word of God. My name is Mitch Chase. And I'm Justin Schell, and we want to welcome you to episode eight of season one. And in this episode, we are going to be discussing how to do biblical theology. I know, listeners, you've been waiting for this, you've been longing for this. How do we do this (laughs) magical thing? called biblical theology. Um, I, I may have been Mitch projecting seminary Justin onto our, our listeners there because I remember sitting in on a, a first lecture in um, Old Testament survey in seminary and listening to this lecture and I didn't know at the time what this person was doing, but they were they were explaining the Old Testament in, in biblical theological ways. They're, they're helping the, the put all the pieces together and see how the plan of redemption was unfolding and progressing. And I just remembered at the time thinking, how do I do that? So listeners, if you're like me, this might be um, the beginning to answer that question. We may have a whole season on how to do biblical theology eventually, but um, Mitch, tell us when, when you, when you're coming alongside of a student or Mm. someone at your church, and you're helping them think through uh, what that maybe they, they have an idea of what biblical theology is, but they want to yeah. start to um, get their hands dirty in the text, biblical mm. theologically. Where would you start? I think a typical upbringing for a lot of folks is to grow up with various stories told them about the Bible and from the Bible that aren't necessarily connected in the coherent storyline. So there's a lot of stories people know about David and Goliath and the woman at the well and Jesus and the woman with the issue of blood and Moses uh, crossing the Red Sea. And there Mm -hmm. might be an ability people have over time to try to situate those in a certain order. But if we're going to do the task of biblical theology, we have to get some clarity on what we're calling the meta narrative or this big sweeping story of scripture. This is really what you were getting at too, Justin, when you're reflecting on that Old Testament survey course. You know, here's this professor helping unlock the unfolding of redemptive history and explaining these things in the big kind of way that helps put pieces together. And that's really what biblical theology needs people to to see. We're giving people puzzle pieces, if you will, and the box that they can look at the box in light of and situate where those pieces go. We're not just dumping out a puzzle on the table and saying, well, just try to assemble this the best that you can. You 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 get the advantage in biblical theology of having this meta narrative. Now, the the frustration that I think readers will find with that is that's just going to take some time. That's Mm going to take some time. Someone would like to be able to probably read a couple books about biblical theology and just, you know, wake up the next day and they're, they're like, all right, I can, I can do biblical theology. I've got the the big stuff in my mind. I I can trace and, and see movement of where things go. Getting a sense of the Bible's meta narrative is just going to take some time and repetition. One of the things I try to do when I teach Old Testament survey uh, for Boyce and Southern Seminary is um, I spend the first 
week of class, taking some time to describe the big movements across the biblical storyline. And there are students who have never thought through that. It is genuinely paradigm shifting. And, And they're like, I've just never had the whole picture in front of me. And I use a whiteboard because I'm old school. And so I use this whiteboard. I guess chalkboard would be really old school. <laughs> I use a whiteboard. And, um, and and so there's literally a picture and a timeline of things on the board when I'm all, all done with it. And, and the benefit that you have as a reader is you're trying to get a grasp of this meta narrative so that you situate where the parts go over time. So that's one of the foundational parts. Uh, I've been talking for a bit about this now, I realize, but foundational to biblical theology, the doing of it is going to be gaining some sense of the meta narrative. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I think that is a, a really good place to start because we, we love story and when, We, we're first exposed to the big narrative of what God is doing, that that all these stories from our childhood in S- Sunday school that seem just like Aesop's fables, right? They, hmm. they, they're they disconnected. They have a moral, you know, be brave like David, be faithful like Abraham. Right. Uh, but what do they have to do with each other? I don't know. And so helping put those together, I think that is a, a wonderful place to start. I think... I would say to that person, once they once they're able to start to see that picture, um, I would encourage them start to find ways where they can tell that story um, to themselves or to others. So I'm really thinking, how can I help them start to um, practice biblical theology? And, you know, we've had um, recently there's been tweet attempts at telling this the big picture of the story. Right. And 144 characters have. You know, what's the big <laughs> story of scripture? And, and so maybe they start there, but then they they think, OK, in a Sunday school session, how could I help maybe these fourth graders see the big story that God is telling and and, right. and go from there? I, I would say don't feel like you've got to be able to, to do a, a sermon series on the uh, on redemptive history. Maybe you're you're there, maybe because, you know, all the parts so well already, um, you can. You can just do that. It's just thinking through how do we link these together? Where do they fit in the big picture? Mm-hmm. But I, I want to encourage people start with start with the the amount of the story you do know, and think through how you would tell that and tell it to someone. And, and, I, and I love that, say, Justin, because there's there's a truth uh, that I heard from John MacArthur some years ago that the secret to learning is teaching. Mm-hmm. And I think there's really something to be said about biblical theology, our growth in it, being something that we can nurture and and cultivate by doing that kind of communicating to someone, mm-hmm. trying to think through how I would express it mm-hmm. and even writing it out in essay form. How could I summarize, you know, in a, in a couple hundred words, what the big story of the Bible is that, you know, that kind of stuff is just going to be helpful because writing helps us think clearly and trying to summarize something that we're trying to communicate is a way of reinforcing it for our own minds. And that's going to be harder um, initially trying to get the meta narrative clear. These exercises you're suggesting, I love this. I think this would have been so beneficial to me many years ago. And, um, and if people will really take what you're saying seriously, I think it will help them tremendously. I think similarly, we talk about themes in biblical theology. And so there's uh, there's the the meta narrative, there's the 
what we might call the history of redemption, the, the story of, of, of God through history, creating, redeeming his people. But then there are related themes that someone could trace through scripture, maybe creation to new creation, yeah. uh, maybe the kingdom of God, maybe covenant. And so I, I, I pull this out as a, sec, a second thing that, that you might, might be a, a place to start maybe picking a theme that you, that you're interested in Sabbath and just looking at how that develops over the canon yep. making sure you're paying attention to the context of the passage you're in. So whether you're in, in Exodus or you're, you're in the book of Hebrews paying attention there, but how, how's that theme developing mm. throughout scripture? And again, it's your first go, you're probably going to miss some things. But the more time you spend with one of these themes or, or a few of these themes, you're enriching your understanding of the big picture all, all around. H- how have you seen maybe mm. themes as a, as, a, as a helpful, whether it's an entry point or even folks that are further along, um, tracing themes, helping them be better at practicing biblical theology? I, I have found it helpful because it's it's forcing you to deal with larger swaths of text, mm-hmm. larger passages of text, uh, multiple books of the Bible at one time. You know, if you're focusing on the development of messianic hope in the Torah, well, you're not dealing with just a couple chapters. You're dealing with multiple books and you're dealing with trying to pay attention to things over a course of many chapters. And uh, I remember early in seminary, I took a class with Jim Hamilton on the book of Isaiah he, uh, he had required all the students at some point to sit and read the whole book of Isaiah in one sitting. Now, we didn't do that in class. He's talking about outside class. So outside class work, we had to read the whole book of Isaiah. I don't think I'd ever sat to try to read a book of that scope in one sitting. Now, it takes a while. But the benefit of that is the large amount of text you're going to have in your mind in a shorter amount of time. And the more you are able to read something, the more you have in your mind to enjoy. You know, I have I have stopped reading a lot of fiction books over the years because too much time has passed between when I last picked it up. So if I'm in this story and I read, you know, a chapter on this day and I put the book down two days later, I pick up and I read chapter two. Four days later, I come up and read chapter three. At some point, I have to realize I'm not really going to understand much of this story if I'm just going to read it with hit and miss opportunities like this. But if you were to sit down and you were to say, all right, I'm going to read several chapters into the story and really start investing my mind in the story, then Mm -hmm. that's going to start doing something to you. What I think the biblical authors do to the reader is they begin to draw us into the worldview that they have for us through immersion in the text. People who want to learn how to do biblical theology will not be able to cultivate such skill apart from immersing themselves in the Mm -hmm. text. Because biblical theology is trying to attend to patterns and repetition and allusions and the way later texts use earlier texts. And that means growing in your skill to hear those kinds of things as you read. So if I'm just going to read a few verses here and there, or read one chapter in this book and jump to another chapter a few days later in a different book, 
I'm not going to be able to trace themes. I'm not going to be able to notice development and progression. If I'm going to do biblical theology, Justin, I'm going to have to be willing to take some time to immerse myself in larger portions of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And that is so worth it because the Bible is treasure. The -hmm. Bible is just precious wisdom and, and nourishment for our souls. This is not only not a waste of time, the growth and skill of biblical theology is something that is so satisfying and delightful to experience when you notice the way the Bible is interpreting itself across the canon. Um, so yeah, getting getting a grasp of the Bible's meta narrative, thinking about those kinds of summary ideas, like you were saying, of communicating it and writing it out. Um, I'm just wanting to add to that the larger swaths of scripture that we can immerse ourselves in, that's going to help tune our ear. And biblical theology is all about tuning our instincts to a way of reading that develops over time. If we're not willing to put in that kind of work, well, we may, we may enjoy reading other biblical theologians, but our own biblical skill will be, will be deficient or at least more deficient than it need be. So let's put in the time. It's going to be worth it. Yeah. That's good. We, we've been talking about kind of the big picture, the whole, right? And within biblical theology, the whole is so important. Let's turn our attention, if we can, for a, a few minutes to say, but what about the parts? Yeah. It, it, because I, I am reading just Isaiah, if I read the whole thing. That's about three hours and 43 minutes, according to Crossway, by the <laughs> way. Um, so block out four hours so you can take, take a potty break. That's right. Uh, or, or maybe I'm just reading one chapter in Isaiah at the time. But certainly when I get when I get ready to approach the text, even if I'm doing a theme mm. I mentioned earlier, I want I got to be aware of the context of Isaiah 49. What what where does that fall within Isaiah? What's happening in this chapter? What's happening in the yeah. wider maybe the wider servant song that that's that that's surrounding it? What in Isaiah as a whole, maybe in the whole Old Testament. Yeah. We want to have the the big the big picture in mind. We want to read big chunks, but at some point we're working with texts. We're working with a paragraph. Right. And so do I need to do that well to do biblical theology? Help us start maybe from the other side. We've been seeing the forest. Help us yeah. look at the trees. If I'm looking at a paragraph within a chapter or as much as even a chapter in the scriptures, I'm, I'm really going to want to read that multiple times, especially if I can't sit with wider swaths of scripture for a while. I'm, I'm going to want to sit with a paragraph and meditate on what the flow of the language is like. And I'm going to ask myself questions like, what literary genre am I reading? You know, if I'm looking at Isaiah, am I currently reading a report from an oracle of Isaiah? Am I reading a response that the people have had to something Isaiah has given? Is he in the middle of a vision? Uh, what am I reading exactly? So I'm interested in the literary genre, but um, but I'm also wondering what kind of words I'm looking at. Is there a word I don't understand? Something I need to look up? Is there is there a concept here that just is fuzzy in my mind? Well, there are good Bible helps that can even give clarity to me on a small little paragraph of scripture so that I have more clarity after studying it than before. So I want to reread it. I want to look for any unfamiliar words and language, but I also want to notice what, what seem to be 
the major what's the major concern in the way the language is working here is something being warned against is there a particular promise being held out is a particular episode being described is the prophet making a prophecy that i need to wonder about the fulfillment of so what what's the language suggesting in terms of its uh, initial meaning and um and i'm i'm wondering about those kinds of things those small questions i could also look for what connections or patterns or concepts do i remember appearing earlier that maybe now i'm noticing are in this passage as well so it's a form of repetition or recursiveness and uh, as the recurring nature of words goes i need to i need to think what is this repetition wanting me to notice and where is it going i do think small um, paragraphs and, and even a chapter of scripture can repay us with careful thinking and questions for biblical theology so we need the forest we need the whole we need the parts we need those trees and, and the more we do wide reading and the more we do narrow and small reading just being able to um, have a discipline that interplays between that, I think our Bible reading will be strengthened because it can't all be one only, you know, one way. Uh, there's there's typically going to be a mixture of approaches of in terms of uh, amount of reading and how wide that reading goes. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm reading narrowly, there's good questions and meditation. If I'm reading more largely and widely across scripture, that helps me as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and I want to come back to you mentioned there there may be some some helps, some tools that will help um, readers as they're trying to make these connections as well. Um, but but I want to read or, or kind of summarize one way of doing biblical theology, one one approach. Andreas Kostenberger calls this the, the classical approach. And I think we would both be would be very warm to to this approach might be depending on the how one practitioner is doing it we might differ a little bit here and there but he's he he takes um scott hafman's description of this approach where there are sort of three three pieces to it to how to do biblical theology in the classical approach there is first you look at each book of scripture independently taking it on its own terms while affirming the unity of the structure of the bible so we're going to we're going, to, we're going to focus in on Genesis or on uh, um, Isaiah. We want, to, we want to know Isaiah well, Isaiah as Isaiah. But second, they should come to terms with the eschatological nature of the Bible, with the first and second coming of Christ serving as the, the midpoint and endpoint of redemptive history. We might call that uh, a Christocentric uh, mm. hermeneutic or, or reading, um, a cross-centered reading. We, we, we see Jesus at the center of the storyline. And third, biblical theology must be rooted in history, lest we replace the message of Scripture with our, our own experience. Hmm. Um, when we hear those three things, so he's, he's affirming just this is history. This is, this is God's word as, as history. So we talked about hermeneutics last week. He talked about Christ being the center and that we, we take each book on its own before then maybe necessarily connecting it to the bigger picture. What do you think? Yeah. How would you tweak that? Um, yeah, I, obviously a summation. So I'm sure there's even more he would say. Sure. I do feel very warm toward that uh, approach because it's recognizing the concentric circles of interpretation, being able to start small, being able to go wide, 
And, um, and, and that kind of approach is, uh, I think it's in line with biblical theology that you and I have been talking about during our weeks together. Uh, this, this kind of approach that wants to take seriously the initial context and understanding of its hearers, though not limited to that. Uh, there are particular uh, customs and, and other things that the initial hearers would have had as part of their worldview, being able to consider the ancient context, but also to notice the progressive revelation of scripture where things are going. It's eschatological endpoint. It's Christocentric purpose. Um, we, we, can't, we can't just adopt one particular circle in the concentric circles and read the Bible as it needs to be read. It, instead, it seems that taking the Bible on its own terms would require a multiplicity of circles there to uh, see its widest canonical context to be the most help to us. Uh, so yeah. I, I, I do, I like uh, what, what you had shared there from Kostenberger and um, I, I think he would sympathize with, with what we're trying to do here. And, and uh, even if he would phrase it differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think um, depending on what is meant by looking at each book of scripture independently, um, because I, I know that, for instance, the Ethiopian eunuch, when he had a question about Isaiah, yeah. I can go to the place where it's explained for him <laughs> later right. in the Bible. And uh, and I get that explanation now. So, uh, But I think we both affirm we're doing exegesis in in this passage. We want to know what what this passage means. But there will be things in the passage that will take us either back to earlier scripture or forward to later scripture that's going to help us understand that passage as it was meant to be understood as that's Jesus right. it and the apostles understood it um, yeah one of the things that i said last week was that the bible is not an anthology of disconnected stories you have a library of books that the unity of the bible establishes as a meaningful coherent meta narrative as long as we pay attention to an individual book at first of its own accord and then consider those texts in light of what's preceded and followed, I think we're doing biblical theology with a canonical instinct uh, because we have the whole of Scripture. We're just trying to remember, aren't we, that the human authors are not the limit to us understanding a particular book they've written. We have later biblical authors inspired by the spirit who read earlier scripture and when they interpret earlier scripture we have an authoritative infallible interpretation in the bible of something earlier in the bible and that is a real comfort for us as biblical theologians we we want to be able to understand earlier texts what a relief it is when a later biblical author gives us clarity on them. It's like, all right, I can I can rest assured that's what that earlier text means because the unity of the Bible establishes the trustworthiness of later use of those texts. When the Bible opens with in the beginning, we can be sure that there's an ending. That's right. This is one story, just like if we read a book that starts with once upon a time. We know this is a story. It's going somewhere. It's uh, I can trust that in the pages of this book, there is there is a unity that's uh, that's unfolding here. That's that's good. I want to come back to something you said earlier. As you teach, you try to give the big picture to your students first. Is there a schema or or some 
some approach? Is there kind of five movements, seven movements, three acts, uh, <laughs> anything like that you, you feel like it has been a helpful tool for you in teaching um, that well, big picture? There, there's more than, than uh, a few acts, but what it basically covers is I talk about how God has created us all in his image and made his creation a cosmic temple for his glory. And then I talk mm -hmm. about the fall and how God has promised a redeemer who's going to come in the fullness of time, born of Eve's line. And then we just notice the spread of sin as Genesis unfolds. Abraham's family is set apart through which God will bring blessing to the earth. And, um, and I'm trying to show them the covenant promises and language in Abraham's family that's passed from one to the other. Once you leave Genesis, Israel is a people in captivity. So the mighty Exodus is the next big step in the storyline. They're delivered out of captivity. They're going to go to Mount Sinai and become a covenant people at that mm -hmm. Sinai location with the Lord. They're going to build a tabernacle at that place. And eventually they're going to go to the promised land. It's a long 40-year journey because of some unbelief in numbers. But uh, the judgment of the Lord over those 40 years comes to an end. They're going to enter the promised land. And over the course of the years that follow, we're going to see cycles of unbelief and rebellion. God's going to deliver them through various judges. And eventually he's going to establish the monarchy. The monarchy, unfortunately, doesn't last uh, in terms of rule over the whole land because Solomon's son provokes a rebellion and the land divides into a northern and southern kingdom. And then for the students, I, I just trace the reality of how this broken kingdom in the north and the south will each end in judgment at their own respective time. The northern kingdom is conquered by Assyria, the southern kingdom conquered by Babylon. And, and the Old Testament ends in its storyline with the people who have returned from exile. Eventually that Babylonian captivity had been overcome by the Persians. And these returned people are back in the land and yet all is not well. The Messiah has not come. They're not in a golden age of their history. They're still ruled by a Persian empire. And, um, and prophet after prophet has foretold glorious days to come. And so as I lay out the storyline of the Old Testament, I really try to emphasize how the Old Testament ends as an incomplete story and that mm -hmm. it's actually meant to be an incomplete story. Because mm -hmm. in the big scheme of God's canonical revelation, the Old Testament was only the setup and the shadows of what was to come more gloriously in Christ. So it's a fun overview just to try to narrate some big ish, big uh, movements in Israel's history, but all with the goal of setting up what that history has been pointing to. Because you're right, Justin, if God says in the beginning, this is what he sets into motion, then that means he has a direction for history that he has ordained. That beginning is going somewhere. And biblical theology is is trying to, uh, you know, be performed with that in mind. Where is this beginning going so that when I do biblical theology, I have that in mind? That's good. Well, we are we're pretty much out of time. Maybe let's take one minute. Um, are, are there other helpful schemas that you've seen people propose? Um, I'm thinking um, Roy Champa has the Caesar, C-S-E-R, uh, creation sin, exile, restoration. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got the Bartholomew and um, Goheen, I think five-act play, and then I yeah. think that's been expanded by Chris Wright to a seven-act play, that mm -hmm. creation, fall, Israel, etc. cetera, Messiah. Yes. Um, maybe we can link to some of these, but, but I think they're helpful to read how others are telling the big story. There's so much in common between them. 
but then eventually, as you have done, the, the ability to tell that story to students, to people in the church um, yeah. as a coherent whole with the movements or acts or whatever, uh, whatever uh, you, you want to call it. Any other real quick schemas come to mind how, how someone has arranged the big story that's been helpful? Well, I know I've benefited from the drama of scripture that Goheen and Bartholomew had written together. And so when you brought that up, that was one of the ones in my mind, Justin, because that is such a helpful overview that engages not just the Old Testament storyline, but some of the developments in the intertestamental period mm-hmm. and leading up into the New Testament. There's just a lot of history that gets uh, accomplished before the New Testament starts. So being mm-hmm. able to get A working knowledge of some of those big ideas is going to be key. Readers might be helped by a small treatment of of the Old Testament storyline that I put together for 10 publishing, and it's called Hope for All the Earth. Subtitle is Understanding the Story of the Old Testament. And Mm -hmm. uh, my goal there was to try to lay out a series of dates and the big movements of Old Testament history. I didn't call them acts in a play, though I love that analogy, Um, but it's a concise treatment to try to um, give that kind of overview. The the more we can get a working knowledge of that, the more we are going to help ourselves be able to do biblical theology because the meta-narrative must be in our minds to trace themes and to follow progressive revelation well. Awesome. Well, we will try to link uh, to those resources in the show notes. Um, But listeners, thank you for joining us here on the Christ and Canon podcast. We hope you were blessed on this discussion by this discussion on how to do biblical theology. It's something we'll come back to and uh, we hope you'll join us.